We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to Inside the Huddle. It's Hoosier Huddle's pregame show for this week's matchup, Indiana versus Michigan in Memorial Stadium in Bloomington. Uh, we'll have all the coverage you need. It is senior day. I can't believe it is, it is senior day. The year has gone by so quickly. Um, Indiana has three games left. They come in at 4-5, and 0-5 oh in the Big Ten. Uh, Michigan is 7-2 and two and 4-1 and one in the Big Ten. Uh, so a lot at stake for uh, both teams. Indiana needs a win uh, to avoid a six-game losing streak and keep their, their bull hopes alive. Uh, Michigan is uh, right there in the division fight for the Eastern Division. Uh, so uh, a lot at stake for both teams. It should be a slobber knocker. Michigan is uh, one of the best defenses in the country. Uh, we're going to welcome in our our co-host, TJ Inman. TJ, how are you today? I'm doing well, Sammy. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. It's uh, a little chilly, but... Uh, you know, that's what happens at the end of the football season. Yes, yeah, unfortunately we are uh, we're winding down. We're getting into the middle of fall, uh, kind of looking towards winter. I love basketball, but uh, it's it's difficult to get towards the end of the football season because we know what's coming when uh, when this ends, and that's, that's a long off season. Yeah, it's an off season where we start a countdown and, and – all too quickly, the season's over. Uh, TJ, uh, you know, I was saying before we brought you on, it's a big game kind of for both teams. You know, Michigan's trying to stay, uh, keep pace with Ohio State and Michigan State in the division. Uh, and Indiana needs to break a six-game losing streak and, and get back in the win column and uh, get to that, you know, fifth and sixth wins coming up. What, what are your first yeah, impressions of the game? Yeah, it's a, it's a big game for both teams for different reasons. Um, you know, Michigan, I, I think a lot of people kind of view them as, as, at this point, after they lost to Michigan State, kind of thought, well, you know, they're clearly improved. It's a it's a good story for, for college football as a whole, as a national story. Uh, you know, it's good for the Big Ten to have one of the marquee programs back at a high level, but uh, that they're – you know their their time as a, a national factor this season is over, but that loss to Michigan State actually does not take them out of the running for the Big Ten East title. Uh, it likely takes them out of the playoff picture. There'd have to be a lot of crazy things happen for them to get back into that. But if they win out, so that includes a win over Ohio State and Michigan State loses 
likely that loss would be to Ohio State, but if they were to lose a second game uh, since they lost to Nebraska, so if they were to lose a second game, you know, Michigan would be the Big Ten East champ, uh, and that would put them in the Big Ten title game. And at the very least, they'd be looking at a Rose Bowl berth, which is, you know, far exceeds expectations of any Michigan fan before the season. So, you know, a big game for them. And even if those dominoes don't fall their way, they're still looking uh, in contention here for, you know, right now uh, I'm seeing them projected in the Citrus Bowl for the most part, playing somebody like Florida. Um, So, you know, there's, a loss or two more probably takes them out of those one of those New Year's uh, bowls, one of those New Year's Day bowls. I think that that's probably their goal right now is to win out, and uh, you know obviously beating Indiana does that. You know for IU, it's really just about stopping the stopping the landslide, which you know it's it's really tough to put this into context because yes, Indiana has lost six in a row, um, that doesn't feel good at all. I would say that really only two of those games, though you can consider bad performances, and only one of them would be one that you can't explain. I mean, the the loss to Penn State, uh, IU was just without their offensive weapons, and that was a good defense that that played a good, good game against the Hoosiers. That can be explained. The Rutgers game cannot. But, you know, the other games, I think you largely have to be fairly positive about them. You know, I know that the football team cannot accept moral victories, and I I totally get that, and I'm not into moral victories either, but I can still take positives out out of performances. And, you know, you look at the teams that IU has lost to uh, in this six-game winning streak outside of, of Penn State and Rutgers, you're talking about top 15 teams. You're talking about Michigan. Uh, they have a loss yet, but that's a, it's another top 15 opponent coming up. Iowa is now fifth in the country, which is uh, truly mind-boggling. Uh, you know, Michigan State, despite their loss to Nebraska, is still in the top 15. Ohio State is in the top four. So you're looking at really high-quality opponents. It's this IU schedule has turned out to be much tougher than I think uh, anyone anticipated as we headed into things. But the the big picture being you need to get to that six wins, schedule or not, you need to get to six wins. And this is one of the three final opportunities that they have to do that. they got to win two games. We all know the scenarios. Uh, you know, at Maryland and at Purdue is after this. This is your last chance to win a game at home. That being said, just at first glance, this is a game that features uh, Indiana as the, the biggest underdog they've been all season, uh, just by, by point spread numbers. Uh, they were a, a less than underdog against Ohio State than they are against uh, than they are against Michigan, at least when that game ended up kicking off. Uh, so that's just uh, we don't know how the what the the point spreads could end up being, and we don't, you know, not endorsing gambling or anything, but it is an interesting way to put the game into context. Uh, I think a lot of that is due to, number one, this is a dominant defense, uh, and we'll get into the specifics on that, but this, I don't think they're the best defense in the country. I think that there are a couple of defenses that, that are 
a little bit more talented, but just from a, a pure scheme plus talent standpoint, Michigan is one of the best defenses in the country. They're extremely good against the run, very good against the pass, and they have some really dynamic athletes like Jabril Peppers, uh, who we'll talk about later, that can change the game on you. Um, they're they're very sound at tackling, very sound fundamentally in their positioning. Uh, they they just don't really allow hardly any big plays, and they're extremely good at getting off the field on third down. That's the second best team in the country, which I guess you know, spoiler that's going to be one of my keys to the game is, is third down. But I think that that's a reason that you see uh, this this kind of the large underdog that IU is heading into this game is because of Michigan's elite defense plus an offense that uh, I would say is emerging. Um, They're certainly not a great offense, but Jake Rudock has gotten more comfortable. He's doing a much better job now of taking care of the ball. They're not turning it over as much as they were at the start of the season. They have a pretty good rushing attack, a, I would say, competent passing attack with a guy that has emerged as probably the best tight end in the Big Ten in Jake Butt, which uh, is, is going to be a tough tough matchup for Indiana to line up with him because he's a very big target. I think you're going to see some, some linebackers have to cover him. And so far this season, Indiana's been able to do pretty well against tight ends, but uh, I think that that uh, Jake Butt is going to be the toughest challenge that they've had uh, from that position. And I, I think that, unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of Michigan fans in the crowd because Jim Harbaugh has uh, he's really rallied the fan base to uh, the point that I think that they are traveling really well. I think they're very proud of how they've performed this season and where they think that this program is headed. Uh, so I, I, I would expect that there's going to be quite a bit of maize and gold or maize and blue uh, in the uh, in Memorial Stadium. So I, I think you look at those factors, and it's understandable why people would, uh, would expect Michigan to kind of come in and uh, – route the Hoosiers and and force IU to win back-to-back road games to get to a bowl game. Yeah. And, and, you know, piggybacking off of, off of that, you know, the big 10 East is absolutely brutal. And, you know, I've been, I, I, you know, at first I was like, you know, you got to play the best, be the best, but it's been absolutely brutal. You know, you play Michigan state, Michigan, Penn state, Ohio state every year. And then you get crossed over. Um, I think next year I use crossover games are Purdue, the Northwestern, and Nebraska. And Northwestern is looks to be on the rise again. And Nebraska is, well, we'll see. If they could be, you know, we'll see if they're the Nebraska of old. Um, or is this a, a Nebraska who's just a, a middle-tier team in the Big Ten now? But it is absolutely brutal playing in the Big Ten East and playing those teams every year. And I know it's frustrating losing, uh, but as you said, TJ, they've played, I think this is their fourth top 15 team. This is, you know, these are games that IU is not supposed to win um, more than, than like, once a decade. I mean, IU's won, beat Michigan once since 1967, 
that came in '87. So they're they've won. Michigan has won um, 34 of the last 35 games against um, Indiana. Indiana has beaten Penn State once ever. Uh, they've haven't beaten Ohio State since 1988, and you know now you're looking at you haven't beaten Michigan State in almost a decade either. So it, it is it is really brutal and, it, and it's tough on the fans. And, and I know you like seeing these teams come in, but you know the fans got to realize that hey, I remember the days that that these teams would come in and, and hang 65, and it'd be 65-10 or 66-10, and, and something like that. But you know, it, it is senior day. Um, they are. I, I know people are sick of it, but they're really close. And maybe this is this is the game they put it all together and get over the hump. I, it would be fitting to send this senior class out like this. Uh, it would be a signature win in Nate Sudfeld's career in these seniors' careers. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's going to be tough. There are going to be a lot of Michigan fans down there. Um, this Jim Harbaugh has as you said, rejuvenated uh, the fan base and, and the program. So we'll see. Um, TJ, you mentioned Jabril Peppers. He's a redshirt freshman. Um, a lot of us picked him as our Big Ten freshman of the year. And what do you see uh, from Michigan that's going to give IU trouble besides, you know, that defense? Yeah, uh, well, just talking specifically about Jabril Peppers, he's a guy that uh, is playing primarily safety. Uh, he was a, for those that aren't aren't aware uh, or don't follow recruiting, which I totally understand, but Peppers is a guy that uh, had a ton of hype surrounding him when he committed to Michigan before Harbaugh was hired. He committed to Brady Hoke um, and then obviously stayed on board for Harbaugh. Uh, he has played primarily safety. Uh, he's also played some corner on the boundary side. Uh, and then they have really just recognized that he's a dynamic athlete that they need to get on the field. So he is also now a returner for special teams. And they have uh, increasingly played him on the offensive side of the ball as you know, throwing him a bubble screen, which they did against Rutgers, and he had a very impressive touchdown run. You know, Rutgers read the bubble screen pretty perfectly. They were in the, uh, you know, in the line behind the line of scrimmage uh, very quickly. It looked like they had busted the play up, but Peppers just made them miss and accelerated quickly, got to the end zone. Uh, they've also given him a few handoffs uh, on jet sweeps, so they're they're just trying to get the ball into his hands. Um, yep, a he lot has, of um, fans. Go ahead. He has uh, three catches for for around 38 yards. Um, he's also carried the ball uh, for six, six times for two touchdowns. Only 37 or only 13 yards. He was taken or 24 yards. Sorry. So he's taken down for a loss a couple times, and then in punt returns, he's pretty dangerous as well uh, at at 12.3 yards in a, uh, on an average kick. Um, TJ, I think you're, and he also does uh, kickoff returns at 27.9. Uh, you know, yep. when you have depth like Michigan does, that that's the things you could do. And I think I know where you're going, and that they he reminds him of of uh, Charles Woodson a little bit. Yes, yeah, that's the name that I was about to say. Um, I I didn't see Charles Woodson really play in college, so I can't say that he reminds me of Charles Woodson, but. 
the name that Michigan fans that have watched the program for a long, long time, the name that they compare this guy to is Charles Woodson, uh, and they're all fairly convinced that he's the most dynamic overall playmaker that they've had in Ann Arbor since Charles Woodson. So that's high praise indeed because they've had a lot of good players since Charles Woodson, uh, and Woodson, you know, obviously tremendous player that has – Still making plays in the NFL, but uh, I'm I'm worried about Jabril Peppers just because this Indiana team has struggled to tackle on the outside, um, not all the time, but sometimes they do. If you make mistakes tackling against Jabril Peppers, are he's he's going to if he gets that open space, he's going to score a touchdown. Um, He's not a huge guy by any means. Obviously, he's a corner, he's safety, so he's not real big, but he is incredibly shifty. Uh, he's very dangerous with the ball, so if you miss tackles, he can change the game. And then defensively, he's turned into a very good, uh, very good coverage safety that uh, helps this Michigan secondary. You know, they have they have a very good pair of safeties. Actually, uh, I think that from a just defensive standpoint, um, I actually think Jared Wilson is a better defensive player than Jabril Peppers is. Uh, he's not as explosive of an athlete, but he is, I think, more of a, a better pure safety. Uh, Jabril Peppers, almost like a, a third corner, which we've seen Alabama uh, has done this this season as well. Their safeties are both of their safeties actually are, are defensive backs. They're not uh, traditional safeties, and that's partially due to Alabama's dominant front seven. They don't need the help from the safeties against the run, but it's it's a way that you're seeing coaching staff start to cope with these spread offenses. Uh, safeties are, are more coverage guys now that are pretty much defensive backs or corners that, that are playing safety, and I, I think that's kind of what you're seeing with Michigan is that uh, Wilson is a very good defensive player. Jabril Pepper is very good coverage, uh, safety. So those guys, um, plus you know, they have a very good duo of linebackers, Desmond Morgan and Joe Bolton, and a couple of uh, defensive linemen, Chris Wormley and Willie Henry, that are disruptive guys. They both have uh, more than six tackles for loss. So uh, it's it's very important for Indiana to not allow those two to create negative plays because you get behind the chains against this Michigan defense and they know you have to do something. So they know what's coming. Like if they know a pass is coming because they forced you into a third and 12, you're in trouble. You're probably not going to convert that third down. Uh, if you can keep them off balance, which Minnesota did extremely well. I was very impressed with Minnesota's offense two weeks ago by far the best game any offense has had against Michigan's defense, which is really crazy because Minnesota's offense has largely been underwhelming this season. But against Michigan, they they were really phenomenal, Uh, had 461 yards. What they did so well was they kept them off balance. They were able to run the ball for over four yards a rush, and Mitch Leidner was able to throw for more than 300 yards. And what what was able to – come off of that successful rushing attack, which Michigan's not used to this year. Teams have not been able to run the ball on them, but it got them a little bit uh, back on their heels and allowed Leidner some open passing lanes that most teams have not had. 
So I think it's going to be a key for Indiana to stick to the running game, even if it's not working at any point in the game. Uh, so, you know, if it's in the first quarter, if if you're not generating the kind of rushing attack that you'd like to have, don't panic. You have to stick with the run. You have to stick with Jordan Howard because if you abandon that and just go into a passing attack because you fall down by seven points or ten points, I don't see any way that they're going to consistently move the ball. You've got to be balancing in this defense. Yeah, and um, that's something that, you know, we didn't see last week against Iowa. You know, Indiana ran the ball very well. Uh, but then the yep. passing game wasn't there. And then, you know, you saw it against Rutgers where the passing game was there, but the running game wasn't there. I, I mean, they broke off a couple big runs, but they didn't, you know, um, they didn't, uh, you know, get get the run game going like it, it is with Jordan Howard there. And, and not having Howard for Rutgers is probably the reason why uh, they lost as well. Um, but, TJ, this offense needs to get going. Um you know, I know you were very harsh on the receivers dropping the balls. I, I rewatched some of that game uh, from Saturday. Yeah, the receivers dropped six, but, man, Sudfeld was leading them into uh, crossing routes where they, they might have had their get decapitated on some hits. So, you know, it's a little bit both. you got to put, put the ball where your receivers aren't going to get killed or aren't going to, you know, lift their head up and look over their shoulder as um, – you know, a linebacker or a safety is going to come in and clean their clock. Uh, so it, it, it's really on Nate Sudfeld. Now, I think the weather is going to be nice on Saturday. It might be cold. Uh, but, you know, we saw it last week. He was just off. There was no real – the wind wasn't shouldn't have been a factor. Uh, it wasn't wet. It was just, you know, it got cold. And I don't know if it was a mechanical issue, whatever it was, Sudfeld told me on Monday that it was correctable, uh, but you know he's got to get going and he's got to play like these are the last three games of his college career uh, because they are. Yeah, he's only you know he's never started more than eight games in a season, so he'll break it. You know if he starts this week, which he should, um, it'll break his career high for starts. And yes, he is a young quarterback in terms of games played, but he's got to play like a senior this week. It is senior day and this team needs needs a win and needs a good performance. Um so I, I, I'm gonna put uh, you know, we'll go into keys of the game uh, a little bit more, but my key to the game is Sudfeld's performance. You've got to perform like you're a senior who's on top of the list of touchdown passes for Indiana. Mhm. Yeah, I, I think that's very fair and I yeah, you're right about the Iowa game. Um, you know, Sudfeld did not put his receivers in the best positions, uh, and they did not help him out all that often. It was a, definitely a two-way street there uh, with the passing performance. I, I thought the second half was better from Sudfeld. Uh, I thought the first half he was very off. The second I thought was a little bit better that it was more receiver drops in the second half that really cost him. Uh, in the first half, I thought maybe upon rewatching, I, I was a little bit too harsh on the receivers for their first half troubles. That was more on Sudfeld, putting them into tough positions for the most part. But uh, it ultimately doesn't really matter. It, it needs to be, you know, they have to be in sync. They have to be working as a tandem. 
Um, and for the most part this year, that, that has happened, but it, it did not last Saturday. Um, and against a defense like Michigan, if if you're inaccurate, uh, it's probably going to result in, one, a three and out, or two, a turnover, uh, because they're not going to give you very big passing lanes or windows, if you will. So you're going to have to really fit it into some tight spaces, uh, there, there are going to be opportunities. I mean, no can just completely shut down every opportunity. So there will be things there for the taking. It's just a matter of whether or not uh, Nate Sudfeld and this, this group of receivers can execute when those opportunities are available because uh, the difference between you know a really good defense and a mediocre defense is just – how many opportunities are there. Michigan does not give you a lot of them, but there will be some that are there for the taking. So we'll we'll see if uh, if Sudfeld's able to do that in this final home game. It, it'd be really awesome to see if he could have have a really nice performance against the defense that uh, stacks up with just about anybody. I, I think Clemson and Alabama might be uh, a little bit better than this Michigan group, but uh, they're – they're as good as just about anybody in the country. So it'd be good to see Sudfeld. And it would give you a boost of confidence going into uh, the final two games of the season, which will not be against good defenses. Yeah, and, you know, the those two games at the end of the year, uh, we'll get into them more uh, after this week, but they've been mm-hmm. kind of the saving grace of the season. Um, you know, Indiana's on a, as I said a million times before today, a six-game losing streak. Uh, those games, I think, are there, have really saved Kevin Wilson's bacon right now is because they are two winnable games. Um, but getting back to Michigan, um, they have 24 sacks on the year, uh, so the offensive line will have its work cut out for them. And if they can't protect Sudfeld, it, it's over. That's going to... Um, that's going to, you know, impact that passing game. It'll impact the run game. Um, they also have, uh, I believe, 65 tackles for loss. Um, that's going to be huge, too. Um, and Jordan Howard very rarely gets tackled for a loss. So we'll see that matchup. Um, TJ, what are some other keys to the game uh, that you have? Well, um, you know, I hinted at this earlier. Uh, third downs are going to be... They're always crucial, and uh, I thought that IU showed some improvements in third down last week. They went 8 for 17 against Iowa, who had come into the game as a very good defense against uh, against offenses on third down. Michigan's even better than that. Uh, they come into this game at second in the country in third down conversion defense. They're behind only Clemson. They surrender a first down at only 21.8% of third downs. Just to put that into some context, IU is allowing a first down on 45.2% of third downs, which is 110th in the country. So you're looking at second versus 110th and a difference of, you know, almost 24%, which over the course of a game, that's probably going to be maybe three or four first downs, and that's probably the difference of seven to ten points, something like that, based just on third down defense. Um, so that's obviously a huge factor. On the other side of the ball, Michigan's converting 42% of third downs on offense. That's 42nd. 
Indiana only at 38.2% of third downs, which is 80th. And I think uh, I think not having Jordan Howard, I I haven't done this, but I, I should go into the numbers of what I use third down conversion rate is with Jordan Howard. It's still not as good as it should be with the grouping that they have and the coaching staff that they have. It's, it's not as high as it should be, but I think that it is a significant difference when Howard's in there on third down as opposed to uh, Divine Redding being the third down back. So, um, in the end, like I said, 8 of 17 against Iowa last week. They're going to need a similar performance on Saturday, maybe even slightly better, uh, to be able to, to keep the ball. Number one, it keeps your defense on the bench um, and just continues to rest them. That was an issue against Iowa that uh, and really against pretty much every top-level opponent Indiana has played this year as the defense just gets worn out um, because they're losing the time of possession battle, converting third downs, or stopping the opponent from converting third downs are obviously key factors in swinging that time of possession battle. Uh, and then I, I think what I'd also like to see is better use of better use of third down and medium passing. Um, I'd like to see some more of the quick outs to Simi Cobbs. I think that those have been successful this year. I think he's proven. You know, he had a couple of drops last week, but I think for the most part he has proven uh, he's very capable of running that route for 78 yards. He just goes, you know, just go two yards past the first down marker, foot in the ground, turn around, screen off the defender, and Sudfeld's got a window to put that there. Most corners in college are, are unable to stop that consistently, so I'd like to see some more of that, or maybe some of those, uh, you know, bootleg delays where the tight end uh, is blocking and then, you know, kind of pops off. Michael Cooper had a couple of those. Corsaro's had a few of those. So I, I'd like to see some of that. But um, and then third down, I, I, the defense for Indiana just. I don't know how at this point. I just don't know how. I know they need to they need to get more pressure on the quarterback when they get an opponent into – they've been pretty good, really, on third and short as a defense. But on those third and medium to third and long, it's always a problem. It's been a problem again this season. I, I don't know if it's trying to get more pressure. I know that they should do that, but then you're exposing your coverage. <clears throat> I don't know what the what the answer is, but they they need to find something not just Saturday, but the final three weeks because uh, being 110th in the country, allowing a third, uh, first down almost half the time when opponents have a third down, that's uh, you just can't win that way. Yeah, and and I think it is a lack of of pressure on those third and mediums and third and longs because you let you know you let Rudox sit back there last week. And pick apart the defense, and Bethard. I'm sure if you go back, at, at, or yeah, Bethard Rudock, you know it's Iowa. Um, yeah, Rudock is quarterback this week. This week. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know he Bethard, I think, is a little bit more mobile than Rudock, but you saw him just sit back there, extend the play for an extra second, and they then they hit a, you know a long pass, and it is frustrating. Uh, TJ, my so, uh, key of the game is uh, red zone scores. Uh, red zone yep. percentage in um, Michigan is uh, hitting at 95% in the red zone. Uh, they've been there 38 times. They've scored 36 times, uh, 27 of those being touchdowns. Uh, so they're scoring touchdowns 71% of the time. I don't know the national average, but 
Um, that's pretty darn good, especially when you look at last year's numbers, and they were barely in the red zone. So, um, you know, Indiana's defense got it. You got to keep them out of scoring scoring territory. Yeah, you could give up yards, but buckle down. Uh, you know, from from the thirty on out, uh, and try and try and force them into field goals. Now, you know their yeah. their field goal kickers hit twelve of fifteen, uh, which is it, it's pretty good. Uh, but you know, let them kick it. You know, if it's three points is is better than better than giving up seven. Uh, but Indiana's going to have to step up their their red zone game as well. Um, let me bring up their stats real quickly on um, on their red zone tries. Uh, it, it's really you know we've seen it last week where you know they got down into scoring position and settled for two field goals, and that was the difference in the game. Now you can't rely on your offense to be perfect like that, um, but right. you know you got to take advantage. And maybe you know I, I hate saying just go for seven, but in a game like this, you might have to. If it's a manageable distance, I'm not saying if it's fourth and 18 from the 30 yard line, you know, just go ahead and take the points and kick it. Uh, but Indiana is is hitting it at 92 uh, percent. They're 33 or 36, but uh, they only have 23 touchdowns in the red zone. Uh, they have uh, yeah. they're 23 of 36. They score touchdowns 64 percent of their time. That's that's the stat that's got to change. Is you got to get that that touchdown number up into the 70s in uh, percentage wise. And you know if you sit there because you know field goals three points that's almost two scores or over two scores for a touchdown. And Indiana is let up a lot of touchdowns. So uh, we'll see uh, how they do on that. Yeah, I I think that you bring up a good point uh, on red zone. You know, you, when you say you, know, you can't expect perfection from your offense, that's true. You shouldn't, you shouldn't expect perfection from the offense. You shouldn't expect a touchdown every time you're in the red zone. That's not realistic. But, you know, when your defense struggles the way that Indiana has, you do have to have perhaps unrealistic expectations for your offense just to succeed. Um, and that's that's unfortunate, but that's kind of the situation Indiana's in with the way their defense continues to struggle. Uh, seemingly, we say this, you know, if if we'd had this podcast three seasons ago or four seasons ago or however many seasons ago, we'd be having the same discussion. Like the offense has to be held to a higher standard than perhaps is fair just because of the defensive struggles and it's an entire team. So as a whole, you know, the offense has to perhaps perform at a higher level than you should be expecting them to perform at just to, to get there. But being in the sixties is too low of a number of team that has the offensive weapons that Indiana does. And, and for, you know, Kevin Johns uh, and Kevin Wilson, two uh, very bright offensive minds. I think that they'd be the first to tell you that being in the 60s is not acceptable. Uh, generally speaking, I'd say that if you're anywhere above 70 and get into the mid-70% of touchdowns uh, in per red zone attempts, you're, you're going to be pretty pleased. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's going to be important. I will say that it was very nice to see Griffin Oaks last week um, inject some confidence back into the kicking game. It was good to have have him have a have a bounce back after the bye week after a, a pretty um, 
frustrating day in East Lansing. It was good to see him knock in two that were really no doubters. So uh, at least you have some confidence in your kicker if you do have to to kick it on Saturday against Michigan. Yeah, and um, it, he he's a very good kicker, arguably the best in the Big Ten. And, and you know, you yeah. just hope that, that Michigan State was an off day and that it didn't affect him mentally, and it doesn't look like it did. Um, I'm right. switching sides of the ball, um, TJ, uh, my second key to the game is get some pressure in the backfield. Uh, Indiana mm-hmm. had no sacks last week. I think they had five tackles for loss for like seven yards. So that average was not good on, on yards per tackle for a loss. Get into the backfield. You know, they, they do a bad job of disguising blitzes. And the defense, this defensive line who has been touted at the beginning of the season, mainly, you know, by our Indiana writers, uh, including ourselves, they got to start playing up to their potential. Uh, you know, Darius Latham's got to get – he's played well, but he's got to get into the backfield. Um, Zach Shaw's come on of late. Uh, but then, you know, Nick Mangieri was hot for a while. Now he's cooled off. Um, and hopefully now that, you know, these last three games, they could put it all together again and, and get hot at the same time. Ralph Green has got to step up. He only has one sack and three TFLs. Um one guy who is who had big expectations coming in as a sophomore, Nate Hoff, has four total tackles, no sacks, no tackles for a loss, and he plays a lot. So, you know, these guys have got to step up. They've got to do, you know, the best that they can to get into the backfield, get some pressure on, on Rudock, and, you know, set up some – I know third and longs have been a bugaboo, but set up some third and 17s, third and 18s. Um, get into these – situations where you can bring a blitzer and, and disguise it better. But, you know, Ralph Green, uh, Nate Hoff, some other guys, uh, Darius Rayner only has one and a half tackles for loss, no sacks. Uh, he was a guy that they sent to media days as a senior. Um, he had big expectations. Um, Nick Mangieri has played well, but he hasn't had a sack in a couple weeks. He's sitting at seven sacks, um, eight tackles for loss. So, you know, this defensive line, some of the linebackers, T.J. Simmons should be back. Um, it was a first-half injection show, so he should be back, ready to go for the entire game next week uh, or this week. Um, but, man, they've got to get pressure in the backfield, T.J. Yes, they definitely do. One guy that I do want to point out that I, I've been uh, impressed with on the defensive side of the ball the past couple of weeks over these past couple of games, uh, that he's getting some more playing time. Robert McRae, uh, I yes. think his, his his athleticism, um, I think is kind of the reason he was initially getting into the mix, and then he's actually backing that up with production. Uh, he's just doing a good job of getting himself around the ball. Uh, it, it's not manifested into huge stats to this point, but he's not played a ton of snaps either. So, you know, he's still a relatively inexperienced college football player, but his, more than anything, just his activity level uh, and that, that he continues to find himself around the ball and not just when the ball is 20 yards down the field, but around the line of scrimmage. Um, yes. So I, you're I, that's a, a positive point. Yeah, and spot on, on McCray. He's played in seven games and has, uh, you know, three tackles for a loss. 
and and 11 total tackles. So when he's played, he's been productive, and and he's a, been a bright spot um, for Indiana on that defense recently. Uh, but you look at you know Chase Dutra has three tackles for a loss when he's you know when your your big defensive tackle has the same amount of tackles for losses for safety. That's not a good sign, and it's the safety that's played seven games. And I and I know Green missed that first game, but um, you got to get something done. Now the defense has done a decent job of knocking down the ball at the line of scrimmage. I think they had yes. three or four last week, maybe five. Um, yeah. And uh, you know Zach Shaw, Nick Mangieri, and, and Darius Latham have all done a good job of getting their hands up when he can't get to the quarterback. So. But eventually, you're going to have to get to the quarterback at some time, and you know it's not doesn't have to be every time, and you shouldn't expect it to be every time. But you know, just a little bit more often than it than it has been. Um, TJ, what is your uh, second uh, key to the game? Uh, uh, just a, a point on uh, Michigan's emerging offense, really, um, and kind of they're not great by any means, but they are up to 27th in the S&P Plus rankings. Uh, Jake Rudock is now completing almost 63% of his passes that he had. Like I mentioned earlier, they're doing a better job of taking care of the ball. I think he's just much more comfortable. Maybe he was pressing a little bit uh, early as his, you know, his new school, trying to prove to people after you know he was pretty much just let go by Iowa, uh, and they, I think it's ended up working out for both schools, but maybe early on he was attempting to press and kind of make the Iowa coaching staff regret letting him go, uh, so he was making some bad decisions. Michigan stuck with him, and uh, they've been rewarded because he's taking care, better care of the ball. He's distributing it. They've got Jake Butt. They also have a couple wide receivers, uh, Amara Darbo and Jehu Chesson, both of them are capable of making big plays. Uh, so it's, it's going to be important for Indiana to limit those those big plays from Michigan. But it's going to be the guy that they look for on a lot of their third downs where, you know, Indiana's had so much trouble getting off the field. And then they've got a solid running game. They, they use a lot of different running backs. Ty Isaac, uh, Devian Smith is, is going to be the, the main running back. But um, – have a hard time feeling confident that Indiana is going to be able to effectively control any opposing offense right now. Uh, I thought that the defense was actually pretty solid against Iowa. I thought it was a, a, an improvement for that unit. They weren't great, but I, I wasn't expecting great at any point this season. So I thought that uh, there were some good improvements. We saw some different personnel get on the field. Tony Fields got a lot more snaps coming out of the bye week. Robert McCray got more snaps coming out of the bye week. Uh, they definitely, it hurt not having Simmons for that second half. There's no doubt about that. He's, he's had a good season, and it hurt not having him on the field. Um, but it, this is going to be a, a good test for Indiana's defense, not because Michigan's some great offense, but I do think that they are much better than what they showed at the start of the season which is expected with the new coaching staff. You know, the more time you get with them, the better you're going to be and the more familiar you're going to be. Uh, I think that it's important for Indiana to try. I, I think a magic number to think is if you can hold these guys 
somewhere in the 20s, so somewhere like 24 to 28 points. If you can hold them there, I think you will feel like you have a chance to win the game. If, if Michigan gets up into the 30s, I'm not sure any or any team right now is capable of putting up uh, over 30 on this Michigan defense. Yeah, and this game is it's going to be a slobber knocker. Um, so uh, we'll see. Uh, finally, um, TJ, uh, my final key to the game uh, is turnovers. Indiana started out like gangbusters on uh, with turnovers in the uh, in the beginning of the year. They've kind of slowed down. Uh, they uh, have had one or. I think two turnovers in the last three games uh, since Rutgers. They picked off a pass at Rutgers. They recovered a weird fumble at uh, Michigan State on a botched uh, field goal. Uh, But that's something that needs to come alive again uh, and get this offensive ball in great field position and turn those turnovers into points. That's something that has been lacking. Um, TJ, is that your final uh, key of the game as well, or do you have something different? I did not have any additional ones. Um, I think turnovers are, are a good point. I included that as um, kind of part of my little spiel on Michigan's defense. But, yeah, Indiana's offense has done a nice job of taking care of the ball the entire season. That has never been a problem this year, and that that's good. Um, turnovers have really bit in teams repeatedly. And uh, it's the reason that they lose games. Indiana can't say that. Uh, they have, they've done a nice job, but they don't have to say that. I should say they've, they've done a nice job of taking care of the ball. But like you said, the defense has stopped creating those turnovers, which part of that's to be expected. They were never going to continue to take the ball away from their opponent at the rate that they were early on in the season. That was, that was a, a pace that could not be sustained. Um, but, you do expect to occasionally create some. And, and Rudock, like I have mentioned a couple times, has done a better job, but he has thrown seven interceptions. Um, he does not have the most accurate arm. He's pretty accurate, 63% of his passes, but you know, seven picks with the number of attempts that he typically has in a game, that's that's not great for him. So, uh, the opportunity is there, and then you know you can always force some fumbles. Marcus Oliver is incredibly good at that. Uh, you know the ball just has to bounce the right way, and you've got to recover it. Indiana had a chance for that onside kick against Iowa, just you know, didn't quite bounce the right way. It squirted out, not necessarily onside kick. Hopefully, you don't have to rely on that. But those types of bounces, when the ball is there to be had, when it's a 50-50 ball. Some of it's luck, some of it, uh, most of it really is luck, but you've just got to find a way to make a couple of those plays, and if Michigan presents you with an opportunity uh, and you do get a turnover, you got to cash them in for points. Yeah, and, and don't be surprised, you know, to see an onside kick that's not a right. desperation heave at the end of the game. At the end of the game, Kevin Wilson has been a you know, I hate the term riverboat gambler because it's so overused, but he's been, you know, rolling the dice a little bit with these onside kicks uh, in his career at Indiana. And, you know, you could tell sometimes it is an option given to uh, Griffin Oaks, and he's been very good at it. Um, so we'll yeah. see if, you know, maybe after a score uh, and Indiana has all the momentum to try and get that ball back and get two scores in a row. 
Um, so we'll see. You know, he opened the game at Rutgers last year uh, with an onside kick. I think North Texas, either North Texas or the opener, they had an onside kick after a touchdown. Um, so we'll see. Um, TJ, let's go around the conference. There aren't too many great games. I think Indiana-Michigan might be the best game of, uh, uh, on the slate. Uh, it might be. I think Ohio State-Illinois is very interesting as well. Um just because Josh Ferguson's back for Illinois and their offense has been so much better with him than it was without him. Uh, he kind of, he's not the same type of player as Jordan Howard, but think of it in that, in that same effect. Um, you know, I use offense just operates much better with Howard and Illinois offense operates much better with Ferguson. So that's an interesting game. They played at noon on ABC, uh, JT Barrett back in the, uh, Back in the starting lineup, Cardell Jones did not do enough against Minnesota to even make the coaches think about giving him additional snaps. Uh, yep. so, 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 back so sorry the for the lineup. pun, TJ. Would you say that JT Barrett is back in the driver's seat? Oh yeah, but um, very nice. Yeah, uh, I'll That's be good. I'll be here all week. That is good. That's um, a good one. Yeah, and, and they play. Uh, they play for one of my favorite trophies in the Big Ten. It's the Illibuck. Um It was a originally it was a live turtle or tortoise. Uh, they picked the tortoise because it lived the longest. I don't think the live tortoise lasted more than a year. Um, so, you know, talk about your ironies. But uh, it's kept by the students. They pass it down uh, the stands, and when the teams, you know, when the game happens, it's. You know, something unique to college football, and I, I absolutely love the Illibuck Trophy. I wish the series was a little bit closer, but yeah, that that's yeah. a that's a good game, uh, a noon game. Uh, next, we have uh, Maryland at Michigan State. Um, Michigan State's trying to bounce back from that, you know, awful loss to to Nebraska, where I, I still think that that was a bad call. But the Big Ten says what it said, said it was a good call. I agree. Um, so we'll see, and and. Uh, Maryland's just trying to trying to get out of the season alive. I think you know they they put up a, a good fight last week against Wisconsin, uh, but you know they already fired their coach. They're two and what are they two and seven now? Um, yes. Yep. And, and you know it's going to wear down on them going up to East Lansing. Yeah, I, the interesting thing with this game, there's really not. Storyline-wise, you just have Michigan State trying to avoid that second loss so that they can, you know, if they win out, they win the Big Ten East, and I think if they can win in Columbus, uh, you'll see them rocket back up the college football playoff standings, and, you know, they could still have an opportunity to get two wins over two top five teams. I don't think they're good enough to do that, um, but, you know, the opportunity is still there, and that's what they're playing for. Uh, if nothing else, then they they could find themselves in a New Year's Day bowl, which is you know pretty good. Nothing to sneeze at. But um, yep. for Maryland, you know we'll focus on them um, a little bit just because you know when I'm watching this, that's what I'll be watching is to see the Terrapins for IU play them next week. You know, like you said, they're just trying to get out of the season. I, one thing that I think might play in Indiana's favor. Um, Maryland will have played Penn State, Ohio State, and then Michigan State three straight weeks before they take on Indiana. So when you're dealing with a team yeah, that is, is playing East. under a yeah yeah that's you know that's the Big Ten it's East. It's the same and yeah. They 
I think it could just take a physical toll on them that they might be pretty beat up um, by the time they take on Indiana next week. Maybe that doesn't matter. I don't know. I've never played three Big Ten East opponents back-to-back-to-back personally. So I don't know how that feels, but I'm just guessing it doesn't feel great. No, and that's where Indiana's bye week came in handy handy, is that they split up some of those Big Ten East games. Um, Next, TJ, uh, we're going to go to Evanston, uh, Purdue at Northwestern. Uh, Northwestern got a a gift wrap game um, last week. I think Penn State mismanaged the clock a little bit or a lot. Um, And and Purdue fell flat on their face at home after giving Daryl Hazel a vote of confidence. Usually that's the kiss of death uh, when it comes to coaching uh, positions. Uh, But Mm -hmm. does Purdue have a chance to go up there? Yeah, every time, uh, you know, they they said Al Golden is safer now, and he was fired the next day. So, you know, Daryl Hazel got that. Um, What do you see here? Is Purdue, you know, is Purdue the team that beat Nebraska, or is it the team that lost 48-14 at home against Illinois? Well, I I don't think they're quite as bad as they looked against Illinois because they looked really really atrocious. They gave up uh, they gave up almost 400 yards rushing to Illinois, who came into the week as the worst rushing team in the Big Ten. So that was beyond what I expected. I, I thought Illinois would win that game. I didn't think it would be anything close to that. But I think it's important to remember they beat Nebraska with Nebraska playing with the backup quarterback. There was a former walk-on named Riker Fife. They got five turnovers from Nebraska, four of those, which gave them the ball inside of the red zone, and they still only won by ten points. So, I, you know, it was good to win over Nebraska. That's impressive. I'm not taking that away from them, but there were extenuating circumstances in that game. The Nebraska that they beat – was not the Nebraska that Michigan State lost to. Uh, they're just a much different team with Tommy Armstrong than they are with, with Riker Fife. That's just, in my opinion. Um, so I, I don't think that they go to Northwestern to win. I think that Northwestern does what most teams have done against Purdue and just runs the ball on them. Justin Jackson uh, is a very good running back. They also have Solomon Vault and Warren Long, and then Clayton Thorson left the Penn State game in the first half with an injury uh, to his lower body. He is expected to go. He can run the ball as well. So I think Northwestern just keeps the ball on the ground, pounds it on Purdue, and just Purdue uh, will see if they care about that or not. Against Illinois, they didn't care to stop it. Yeah, and, um, you know, it's it's been a disappointing year in West Lafayette again. Uh TJ, next we move to, um, you know, uh, Nebraska and Rutgers. It's another traditional Big Ten rivalry. Uh, Oh, yeah. Kidding. Uh, But that game's at 3.30 on uh, BTN. Rutgers is, I I think, a totally different animal without uh, Leontay Carew. Um, I think that, you know, they're a real solid team with him on offense. Without him, they just lack that big play receiver. Um, and, and that game changer. Uh, Nebraska is still in the bull hunt. Uh, they need to win out uh, to get there, I believe. Um, and we'll see. You know, it's Nebraska's traveling east. I expect there to be a decent Nebraska crowd at Rutgers. They usually travel well. 
I don't know how many Nebraska alums are in New York, but I assume that all the Nebraska alums in the New York City area will be either tailgating or attending the game. Um, so we'll see. Uh, you know, it, it's a game where they have all the momentum. They, they're they coming off a, a, a win, a controversial win, but a win over Michigan State, uh, a much-needed win over Michigan State. And Rutgers is coming off a shellacking to um, – to Michigan last week. So, what are some of the things you see here? Do you, do you see Rutgers pulling an upset, or uh, are these teams like pretty evenly matched, uh, and it's going to be a good game? I have no clue what to expect from Rutgers from Nebraska. Um, they are still mathematically alive for a bowl game after the disastrous season that they've had. You know, a win here at Rutgers, uh, which they're favored to get and then they get 13 days off, and then Black Friday they take on um, the Iowa Hawkeyes. So they have a chance to spoil Iowa's season and get themselves to a bowl game if they can win on Saturday. Uh, So that would be a pretty good game, and that will be in Lincoln. So that's a final hurdle for the Iowa Hawkeyes in the regular season maybe if they're still unbeaten. Um, That'll be a crazy atmosphere in Memorial Stadium that they – they don't often get to play spoiler to somebody's college football playoff hopes, but that would be a case where they could. So I, I don't know. I think Nebraska will take care of business. You say that Rutgers is a, a different animal without Carew. They definitely are. I wonder what animal this iteration of Rutgers is, uh, some type of, like, radioactive swamp rat or um, – It is, know, it like is New Jersey wounded, after all, so. Yeah, like a wounded feral cat. I, I don't know, but – Whatever we'll kind of animal the, the current swamp rat? Are we going with that? We're going with the the state animal of New Jersey is the radioactive swamp rat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, you know they beat IU, so I'm not slamming their program. I'm just saying the current the current state of Rutgers football um, not not pretty, not pretty at all. And if no, they're an animal, they're something that is wounded and decaying. And probably some type of carcass. So, radioactive swamp yeah, rat. You, st- you, you still don't want to stub your toe on it because it's radioactive and and it might get you. Um, anyway, yeah, last you. game. It yeah, and and we learned that with IU. But last yeah. game um, is uh, another great trophy game. Floyd Rosedale game. Minnesota mm-hmm. at Iowa. Uh, play for the pig. It's awesome. Um, so. We'll see. I, Iowa's coming off. You know, they're riding high. They're they're at fifth in the college football playoffs. They're uh, coming off a, a a win where they survived in Bloomington, and you know they're they're now nine and zero for the I think the second time in program history. So yeah. you know we'll see if if they could put all that behind them and focus on Minnesota, who'll be up for the rivalry game. I think they just announced either today or last week that Tracy Clays will be the head coach going forward into the future. I think they're going to take the interim tag off. But, you know, yep. we saw how hard they played against Michigan for the little brown jug. So they'll be ready to go, it's, and it's a tough game for, for both teams. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they played Michigan tough. They gave Ohio State – excuse me, they gave Ohio State a game. So Minnesota – um, I don't think much changes for their program, really. Under Tracy Clays, it's going to probably be the entire same staff just staying there and then maybe adding a couple of bodies to, to replace guys to get promoted. But um, 
that's off-season discussion for now. I think Iowa's the better team. I expect them to probably win by something like seven to ten points because that's kind of what they've done here recently is just get things done and move up when other teams lose. So uh, good for them. They're having a dream season, and hopefully someday we'll get to experience that kind of thing. Yep. Well, TJ, uh, we are out of time. Thanks for uh, you know joining me. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking Big Ten football. Uh, the season has gone by too fast. Uh, I saw that you, TJ has his uh, game day primer out. If you want to know all about the Michigan-Indiana game, check out HoosierHuddle.com. Uh, TJ, great work as usual, and uh, have a pleasant rest of the Wednesday. Yeah, I found uh, Harbaugh doing push-ups and appeared to be coaching a walrus. So I, you know, yeah. nice. You know that adds to his list of crazy things he's done. Yeah, so I thought I'd put that up there, and no explanation needed. I don't know what he's doing. He probably doesn't either, but he's he's having a good uh, having a good time and making things happen for Michigan. It'll be interesting to see how many times he gets shown on the sideline during the game. I'm guessing the over-under is roughly every 30 seconds. That would be a good, fun prop bet. Um, But anyway, uh, that does it for this week's show. I want to thank all the veterans. It is Veterans Day, so thank you to the veterans uh, for your service and sacrifice and dedication. Uh, I appreciate it. it. Uh, We all at Hoosier Huddle appreciate it. We couldn't do what we do. Uh, without your sacrifice and service. So uh, thank you, veterans. Uh, keep coming back for HoosierHuddle.com for all our Michigan game and senior day coverage. I did talk to a few seniors yesterday, so we'll have that up uh, later in the week. Uh, anyway, TJ, final home game, and we'll see you uh, on Monday, hopefully. Yeah, thanks a lot, everybody. Have a good week, and uh, go Hoosiers. All right, that does it for our show today. Uh, Michigan-Indiana, 3.30. It's an ABC ESPN2 mirror game. Uh, You can also find it on the IU um, Sports Radio Network. Uh, So we'll uh, wish you a happy Wednesday and a happy Veterans Day and a um, happy Senior Day on Saturday. So we'll see you on Monday for a wrap-up show, and then we'll close out uh, the regular season with uh, two road games at Maryland and at Purdue. Thanks for listening. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. 
I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. 